Our second scripture reading today comes from the book of Luke. When they came to the place that is called the skull, they crucified Jesus there with the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they are doing, and they cast lots to divide his clothing. And the people stood by watching, but the leaders scoffed at him, saying, He saved others? Let him save himself if he is the Messiah of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine, saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were hanged there kept deriding him and saying, Are you not the Messiah? Well, save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed have been condemned justly. For we are getting what we deserve for our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he replied, truly, I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. This is the word of the Lord. So Christ the King comes at a weird time, right? I mean, I am like already getting excited for Advent. Not going to lie that there's Christmas decorations already in our household because there might be somebody in my family who, like, in February is starting to say, like, oh, hey, Adam, could we put up the Christmas decorations? And I say, Advent to Epiphany. But you could tell where the battle lines are drawn and who wins and who doesn't. But it's a strange time for us mentally to go back and to be thinking about Holy Week again. We're more used to heading right to Advent and then to Christmas. And even still, we might spend some time in Thanksgiving this week, right? We're kind of skipping around a little bit. So to have this moment here where we witness Jesus on the cross, I think feels almost a little profane. I'm ready to talk about baby Jesus, not dying Jesus. However, When you do think that this is the last Sunday of our liturgical year, then next Sunday is our beginning of our new year, we can see how maybe taking one last moment to look back might project us well going into the next year. And of course, Advent reminds us all about expectant hope. Right? It's one of the words that when we light the candle, we talk about hope. We know that Jesus is coming. Every Christmas Eve when we gather here, there's no surprise. We know we're going to talk about Jesus being born. We're sure of it. Now, when we get there, it's true we might feel a little tattered and torn. I mean, it's kind of nice that you get four weeks to kind of rev yourself up for the excitement of the Christ child coming because sometimes we need all four weeks to remember joy and hope and comfort because when we get here, we're kind of tired. 
hope too often feels like a finite resource. And it can be hard to look around right now and find it in any sort of supply. In the last couple months, as I have been walking along beside many of you, I have felt the world buffeting up against you in many ways. Bad moments have gotten worse. My papers are falling all over. And there are moments when you feel like the world is playing hot hands with you. Do you remember that game growing up? Where you'd set your hands, and you have somebody set them underneath, and you feel like everything is safe and secure, and then whack! That comfort and rest that you felt on somebody else's hands have turned into the pain that you were not expecting. Hard to have hope during that time. And so I tried this week. I I think you all know by now, I've been around long enough, I'm not a big illustration person. I don't like telling other people's stories. I tried really hard this week because I thought hope would be an easy one to find good sermon illustrations, right? They're not that good. I looked. They're oftentimes, they feel kind of pithy, right? Oftentimes, the ones that I would look at would be like, isn't it sad that somebody died without Jesus? Be sure to have hope, which also doesn't feel that hopeful. So I kept digging around. And I found this guy. One of the uh, people... Philosophers I read in seminary. This guy's name is Arthur Schopenhauer. He constantly has a look that he knows what you did wrong last week. And this is one of the better pictures of him. Now, if you've ever read Schopenhauer, you know that he's a bit of a nihilist. He's a little bit of a downtrodden, difficult person to read. Everything feels just depressing when you read Schopenhauer. But... He does talk a little bit about hope. I realize it's hard to read all of that. I'm going to read it to you, but I wanted to make sure you had it. He says, He who has given up hope has also given up fear. This is the meaning of the expression desperate. It is natural for a person to have faith in what they wish and to have faith in it because they wish it. If this peculiarity of their nature, which is both beneficial and comforting, is eradicated by repeated hard blows of fate, and they are brought to a converse condition, which they believe that something must happen because they do not wish it. And what they wish can never happen just because they wish it. This is, in reality, the state which has been called desperation. In other words, boy, when life keeps throwing rocks at you, sometimes it's hard to get up. How many times can you take one more thing to happen before you start to wonder whether it's worth it to wish it at all? Even the most optimistic of us can sometimes feel like it is not worth it to be too optimistic. And what Schopenhauer argues is that at some point, hope falls apart into desperation. And I think at this point of the year, as we're looking to Advent and we're hoping to get back into joy and peace and patience and comfort, 
that the Christmas season brings, this might be the point when the desperation feels the worst. You just want Christmas to come. You're just hoping baby Jesus comes again this year. Let's not get to that guy too soon. Now, the beginning of our passage here, the gospel, shows Luke. The scene that he lays out shows a pretty desperate, cynical time, completely devoid of hope. When you look at how the centurions are treating Jesus, they basically have thrown in the towel on anything that they think he is, right? The word here, when we're talking about Find it here. Scoffed. Scoffed is not just, it's a word in the Greek that actually literally means that they turn their nose up at him. So do you imagine that time where you're looking at something or somebody and you just go, oh. that's how they're treating Jesus in this moment. And as they mock Jesus, Luke tells us, they do it for their own pleasure. And so it's not so hard to think in this moment of desperation, in this moment of not having any hope that Jesus is who he says he is, well, the second best thing is to give in to the comfort of cynicism and to make sport of the one that you would think would provide you the hope, the one who could save the world. Now, one of the criminals join in, right? You see this. You've got one on the left and one on the right, and the one starts saying, yeah, Jesus, if you are who you say you are, why don't you get us down from here? I mean, seriously, man, you were the one that was, like, bringing people back from the dead. You can't get us down from these couple sticks? Seriously, man. Seems to be Schopenhauer's ideal of desperation. Why even try? If you've been dealt so many blows, good, bad, or indifferent, whether you were responsible for them or not, that you were hanging up on a cross to be crucified, you probably have given up. I probably would feel much more like that criminal. Saying, Jesus, Savior of the world, cut us down from here. But yet, the other criminal still has hope. In the midst of a sure and certain death, his world careening to a sure end, the other criminal still has hope. It isn't a desperation or a resignation, but a simple request that he believes will come to be. Jesus, remember me. Not, Jesus cut me down from here. Jesus, call your angels down and fix this. Jesus, remember me. And sure enough, Jesus himself dying responds. And as far as we can tell from Luke's telling, this is the last words that he speaks to anybody but God. Into your hands I release my spirit is the next thing we hear Jesus say. This is the last thing Jesus does in his ministry to us. In the midst of dying and death and no certain hope, when people cry out, Jesus, remember me, Jesus responds. 
and says, Today you will be with me in paradise. Jesus' final act, even on the cross, is comfort and realizing hope that seems too easy to lose. Friends, the difference in the two criminals is one still believed that Jesus is who he says he was. This might be why I think with all of the other things we've talked about this month about stewardship. Remember our first week we talked about the stewardship of relationships, that it's important to care for each other. The week after we talked about the stewardship of creation, that's important to care for what God has given us. Last week we talked a little bit about both the stewardship of our finances through our stewardship campaign. But really we also talked about what does it mean to give ourselves Right, as Jim and everybody else who was on the adult mission trip talked about what it meant to serve in the Carolinas. But what good is literally doing any of this if we don't have hope? Why should we waste our time caring for this earth If it is already lost, what good is it to get to know people if there is nothing at the end? Why should we talk about the good ministry that we're doing if it's all nothing? Hope, friends, is what carries us. It is, I think, one of the most defining things that make us who we are as Christians is that we hope and believe that Jesus Christ is who he says he is, did what he did, and will come back. In spite of how difficult and unreal that belief may be. And friends, we believe that this is not just some sort of interesting idea, but we believe that Jesus is actively working in this world. Abraham Kuyper, who was a philosopher, theologian, prime minister of the Netherlands in the 1900s, said this, There is not a single square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, Mine. There is no place in this world, Jesus Christ as king on this day that we celebrate, that Jesus does not have dominion and care over. In fact, Jesus Christ is the steward of all of this creation, is the one caring for it today. The one who healed at his death still can give us hope today. And it means that everything that we do can be a sign of the hope that Jesus gives us. When we will have those new members come down here and say, I want to call Old Stone Presbyterian Church my home. Is that not hope? When we lay our simple envelopes, our simple cards down in to the collection plate. And we say, this is what I can give. And I give it because I choose to, not because I am coerced to. Is that not hope? When we just show up on Sunday, 
Is that not hope? There are times that it is hard to feel hope. I know it would be very Pollyanna-ish of me if I said to you right now, well, just believe in hope. Because it doesn't work like that. Otherwise, we'd all be bopping around every Sunday. Not a care in the world. There are times that it is hard to feel the hope that is offered even at the very end of who Jesus was here on this earth. But perhaps it is exactly where the other things that we've talked about come into play. When we have a chance to sit next to one another, to learn one another's stories, to bring our arms around people who are hurting, is that not hope? When we see our world healed from the scars that we have placed on it, When we clean up a riverbank, that's hope. Because we see the world just a little bit better than what it was. We see paradise come back, even for a moment. Budgets and programs, buildings and grounds, service and leadership, all of these are messages of hope when at times we'd rather just give in to desperation and nihilism. Why does any of this matter? Well, because when we care for it, it might break open hope even for a fleeting moment. And so as we leave ordinary time and we start in Advent and Christmas time, I invite you to take a rest and to come home, to fill up your tanks of hope as much as you can, We are going to spend Advent together talking about what it means to come home. And then at Christmas time, while we celebrate Jesus among us, we are going to stay at home. We're going to enjoy sitting in our living rooms, resting in our bedrooms, cooking together in our kitchens, because that is where hope can reside. Because soon we have to leave, and that's what Ash Wednesday and Lent remind us of, is eventually we have to take the journey back out into the world. But for now, rest. Come home. Find hope again. Because, friends, I am convinced if there's any gift we as Christians can give this world today, it is glimmers of hope. Thanks be to God that even at the end, we have a chance for hope again. Amen.